Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to Spies and Lies, an espionage podcast delving into and analyzing acts of espionage throughout history, tracing the exploits of daring spies, covert operations, assassinations, hacking, secret organizations, and more. Co-hosted by me, Omri Rose, who spent his childhood living undercover, thanks to his dear old dad and co-host, Jason, a retired former spymaster of one of the top intelligence agencies in the world. Without further ado, let's dive into today's episode. The Limping Lady. Virginia Hall completes a secret radio transmission, undercover at a French countryside farmhouse, dressed in a disguise as an old lady who she called Madame Marcel, when suddenly, engines are heard outside. Scrambling to hide the radio in loft crates above her, German soldiers bang at the door, and rushing to answer, Hall opens the door, hoping her disguise and old lady makeup hold up. A group of Nazi soldiers stand before her, their officer looking around, before asking, why are you in this farmhouse alone? Hall, keeping her calm, replies, cook and tend cows for farmer. Such supremacists. Hall's heart beats at 100 miles an hour, hoping against hope that they won't locate the radio. Because if the device is found, certain death awaited. The place is ransacked, the officer looking towards the loft, asking, what exactly is up there? Suddenly, a German soldier hands an item to the officer, who looks at it before approaching Hall, drawing near. The officer stares, recognition flashing in his eyes. You, you make cheese. A relief suddenly washes over Hall. Part of her cover story was that she would go to market as a cheese seller, cheese which she herself had learned to make, selling it to Germans and eavesdropping, pretending she didn't understand them. You make fine produce. For a French woman, the officer extracts a block of cheese, the item the other soldier gave him, tossing some coins to Hall's feet, then turns, ordering, Let's go. As the soldiers depart, the limping lady, codenamed Artemis, codenamed Madame Marcel, who had wanted posters of her face spread all over Nazi-occupied France, escapes capture and certain death once again. What were your first thoughts about Virginia Hall when you learned about her? Very interesting individual. To me, she seemed like the perfect candidate. Well, perfect. You have to remember the times and the way people were recruited or seen to do the job. She got lucky or unlucky, depends on how you look at her circumstances. But 
Very interesting later on how actually she did get recruited into this work. Virginia Hall was born in 1906. She was dubbed Artemis by Nazis, named after the Greek mythological goddess of hunting, because hunting her was their sport. Mockingly called the Limping Lady, she had many aliases in her career as a World War II spy and was called the most dangerous of all Allied spies by the Nazis. But why was she called the Limping Lady? Well, on a hunting trip in Turkey at 27 years old, she accidentally shot her right leg below the knee with a rifle while climbing a fence. She had to have her leg amputated and replaced with a wooden prosthetic, which she lovingly called Cuthbert. It was hollow inside, and later, that very same hollow space was used to smuggle documents in her career as a spy. After service in World War II, she worked 15 years with the CIA against the Soviet Union during the Cold War, and her work there is almost still entirely classified to this day. She was made a member of the Order of the British Empire, was the only woman to receive a Distinguished Service Cross during World War II, which is America's second highest medal for bravery, and she turned down dozens of other honors because she didn't want to compromise her anonymity, which would prevent her from undercover work. She was Virginia Hall. But what is World War II? What was this war all about? Well, here's some background. In 1933, the Nazis, the Nationalist Socialist German Workers' Party, was elected and seized control of power in Germany. Their leader, Adolf Hitler, quickly asserted his dominance and transformed the nation into a militant dictatorship. The Nazis believed in the supremacy of the Aryan race above all others and began a campaign of extermination and what they dubbed purification against those they deemed inferior in particular blaming the world's and Germany's problems on Jews, who they would go on to murder and exterminate in such an effective manner that one-third of the entire Jewish population of the world, approximately six million, were destroyed in what is known as the Holocaust, which also targeted and claimed the lives of hundreds of thousands of Romani people, homosexuals, communists, and any they deemed enemies. With lightning speed, military efficiency, and blitzkrieg tactics, Germany, calling itself the Third Reich, quickly swept across Europe, conquering much of it with its allies, collectively called the Axis Powers, which included Mussolini's fascist Italy and the Japanese Empire. And facing them, a coalition of nations known as the Allied Powers fought back, not just in Europe, but across the globe in what became known as World War II. So Virginia Hall, as we mentioned, was born in 1906 in Maryland. She had a privileged childhood. She was born in Baltimore. She was outdoorsy and learned to hunt and handle guns from her dad. Why didn't you ever teach me how to shoot a gun, Dad? You didn't need to. <laughs> she wore live snakes as bracelets, and she wanted to always play the male roles in plays because she wanted to be a hero and save the day, swashbuckling and sword fighting. She attended prestigious schools and universities and also studied abroad in Europe. Early in her life, Hall set the tone of what was to come by writing, I must have liberty, with as large a charter as I please. Since her childhood, she dreamed of becoming an ambassador, and later lived across Europe, falling in love particularly with France. She spoke six languages, count them, French, Spanish, German, Italian, Russian, and English, and was constantly applying to become part of the U.S. Foreign Service, but was rejected seven times in spite of outstanding marks. Some historians say sexism played a part or her disability. And also, she was very vocal in her warnings against Hitler at the time. You know, she was in Europe. She saw what was going on. She saw the rise of fascism. And that didn't particularly help because the U.S. wasn't, you know, at war at the time. And you don't want to be railing against uh, a foreign power. 
She fought her rejections bitterly, but nothing came of it. One particular rejection letter is said to have read, She is not good material for a career in service because she lacks judgment, background, good sense, and discriminatory powers. She also talks too much. Sometimes talking too much could be useful if you know how, what you want to say and how you say it. But in her case, I think she scared everybody off. She had a mind of her own and she had her own opinions. And I think when you're working in a bureaucracy, people are afraid of people who are free thinkers. And I think if you look as well at what she did afterwards in her career, she was very independent and doesn't take no for an answer and, and goes against the authorities. And I think that's one of the reasons that she wasn't accepted into the mainstream of the American uh, civil service or the foreign service. Everything eventually comes down to the person and an individual. And I think the way a service or organization is willing to tolerate how much the individual is an individual. And uh, at the time, I think she was too much of an individual to some of the people and they needed something else before they could actually recognize her as what she really was and what she could bring to the table. So, when Germany invaded France on September 3rd in 1939, Hall volunteered as an ambulance driver, eager to help, eager to get into the action. But when Paris fell, she escaped with a friend, riding a bicycle, each of them taking turns on the handlebars. And mind you, she had a wooden leg. That can't have been easy. And they managed to escape. And uh, Hall headed to London through Spain. And at a chance encounter at a railway station there, she met an undercover agent who realized Hall was exceptional from their interaction and put her in touch with a friend in London. That I find very interesting because you have here two characters. One who's a, an agent who is, uh, doesn't have a specific role at the moment to recruit anyone, but he identifies or understands that this is a unique individual that could be useful. Now, he's coming from, from the field, so he knows what he's looking for. He knows someone who can talk, who can schmooze, who can get to say things that maybe you didn't want to say, who can make you talk when you maybe didn't want to say anything. And and she knew some languages. I'm sure that came in, came as well. Well, yeah, they met in Spain. So he was in the field in operation in Spain, and you know he encountered her there. And so she was probably speaking Spanish. Look, she was said to talk too much. So she was talking to this guy, not knowing who he really was. It so happens she was lucky because she talked to someone who was looking for something specific or knew that if he sees something, it's worthwhile doing. Based on everything else in her career, I, I don't get the impression that she talked no, too much. No, she didn't much. talk too much, maybe, when she was on the job. But I'm sure she spoke about her story and where she's going and where she's heading. I mean, she met in Spain, okay. They were at a train station, both heading for London. They got talking. Mm -hmm. So she was probably saying, well, where are you from, what you're doing, you know, with that kind of talk. And he realized by talking to her that this could be interesting. Now, why is it interesting? Because this is the first time that she's actually been spotted by someone from inner service saying, wait a minute, this individual could be useful. This individual is something we could maybe try and invest in. The Americans didn't want to do that. But the British, recognizing her talents and having the needs they need in Europe, were able to identify an individual, in this case a lady, even with a handicap. And that's even more remarkable. And saying, okay, there's something in her that maybe we can make it useful for us to use. And then send her to an address or to a person that actually changed her life, you could say. 
That Absolutely. encounter changed her life. This chance encounter completely changed her life. And, um, you know, you talked about the need for intelligence officers and things. I wanted to, to stress that the Central Intelligence Agency for the, the U.S., the CIA, didn't exist yet. MI6 didn't exist yet. These, these organizations, they didn't exist yet. The KGB didn't exist yet. In fact, this um, undercover agent that she met in Spain was a senior officer in the Special Operations Executive called the SOE, which was the British Wartime Intelligence Service, which was a new secret service set up by Winston Churchill, the Prime Minister of the United Kingdom, to set Europe ablaze. That was my Winston Churchill impression. How was it? I would continue. <laughs> continue on that? Yes. So anyways, Churchill um, set up this service to set Europe ablaze through cloak and dagger efforts. That was a bit better. <laughs> okay. Reaching London, Hall sought the contact that she was given. And at a dinner party during the Blitz, which was when the Germans were bombing London, she was asked about her experiences in France. The hell that France has gone through with corpses lining the streets and people turning on each other. It was horrible to behold. And she added... She'd witnessed her best friend's brother die, losing half his face, but ended with the kicker that I can't wait to find a way back there to end the filthy Jerry's. Strong words. Strong words. Little did she know that the hostess of the evening was actually a spy recruiter for British intelligence. She smiled and said, oh, I'm sure you'll find a way. In that moment, Hall was about to be recruited. You never know when you say something, who listens, and what effect it might have. And uh, we have to remember, of course, it's a time of war. She was outspoken. She, she opened up. She could have been set up. She could have been saying it if she was sent by the other side. I'm sure if she would have had a heavy German accent, they probably wouldn't have taken her. But she was an American. And it Fiery, was something different. passionate. Yes. And with the disability that everybody could see so quite gutsy she concealed her disability though quite well she she was not ashamed of it but she did her best to not allow people to judge her for it so she was recruited and she headed to intense training a crash course in everything from clandestine operations to communications and weapons becoming the first british female agent later inserted into france now, at first, the SOE brass were not keen on employing women, especially foreign ones. But after six months of failing to infiltrate France with a single agent and few agents willing to take the 50-50 chance of survival by going there, Hall's relentless volunteering and obvious qualities won the day. She was dispatched with a fake identity as a reporter for the New York Times. Now, the USA was neutral at the time, which gave her the ability to move freely and she would uh, send coded messages through articles she wired back to HQ as a journalist. She was covertly smuggled into France, carrying several million francs on bands around her legs and probably also inside the hollow as well. You need money to pay for things and you have to bring it. I wonder if it was forged money or it was real money. Still, it's a lot of money. Yeah. Even those days, it was a lot of money. It's a lot of money. But uh, as we discussed in the first episode with Sun Tzu, um, stressed the importance of financing. and Correct. It, it's cheaper, that, that amount of francs, than one tank. Yes, and but you, uh, you have to trust that one more. individual. If one individual falls, the money goes. If she goes on the ship and it drowns, you've lost uh, a lot of money. But so. if it doesn't, you uh, potentially have great success. Yes. When she got to France, she began recruiting anyone she felt useful. Police chiefs, town hall uh, members, representatives, prison officers, nurses, anyone she felt that was useful. The secret 
in this case was the cover she had. Using a cover that she did as a journalist, an American journalist, really gave her at that stage the ability and the opportunity to ask questions and to get answers that would be interesting for the British intelligence. But the cover suited her because she wasn't something she really wasn't. She liked to ask questions. She could move around. So actually what you have to understand in this game of spying, a cover is very important. And if you have the right story and the right cover story, you can get a lot of information and do a lot of things and you're confident in what you're doing. So she played the part. The hand fit the glove. She played the part and therefore she was able to succeed. She was able, her cover was good enough. As long as America was neutral, it gave her the the opportunity to be to go under, not to be seen as a threat mm-hmm. at that stage. It, it sounded logical that there'll be an American reporter who speaks French who will want to report back to the newspaper and tell them what's going on. So you have to look at it from two ways. One was the surrounding people, if it's even it's the Germans or even it's the local French people, were they worried that she is reporting against them or doing something that they don't want to talk about? And the other thing is, what kind of information was she asked to find? I mean, she wasn't asked to find, like, what kind of weapons you have or where's the next attack, but she was probably able to slowly understand through the different contacts who can give her what information. Well, as they said, they didn't have any field operatives actually working in in France at the time, so she was there establishing the the base of operations to get the lay of the land. And made sense why they sent her mm-hmm. to be a reporter, because she spoke French. It's right. not just an American sense. lady. Yeah. does remind me of a story about um, our own experience where we were at a certain place, you know, because as I said, I grew up undercover in certain places, and mom had to um, feign not speaking a certain language that she did speak. And she overheard certain people talking in that language about her and had to pretend that she didn't understand, even though they're standing in the room talking about her in not the most pleasant light. So it's interesting. Was that vague enough? Am I allowed to put that in? Shall we continue about the story (laughs) of the lady? (laughs) Okay. So when she first arrived in Lyon, Hall stayed in a convent and she persuaded the nuns to help her. In fact, she turned that convent into a safe house. Very useful, the, the, the role of religious figures in spying, I'm coming to learn, because obviously there's a certain level of protection that they have. She also befriended a female brothel owner who became one of her greatest allies and assets in France. She was able to obtain info from the French prostitutes that worked for this brothel owner. They gathered the information from the German troops who, you know, used their services, but they would spy on those German troops. They would drug them. They would steal documents from their uniforms and photograph them, then hand the, uh, the photographs to, to Hall. Also, they infected them. What do you mean infected? This is a fascinating thing. Hall also befriended a gynecologist and recruited him to aid them. And the gynecologist provided what was called white cards to these prostitutes, which meant they were free of STDs, except... They weren't actually. And so then these prostitutes who had STDs were sleeping with these German soldiers and officers or whatever, infecting them with STDs, and then they would be out of operation and out of action. And then the gynecologist would uh, would treat the prostitutes before they got too sick. Crazy story. I mean, that, that blew my mind. Well, it's use of uh, biological warfare yeah. <laughs> in some ways. But coming back to what you asked me about using prostitutes, and if you look at it from uh, an intelligence point of view of, of the different elements that you just discussed. The first paragraph we talked about was the basic coverage. You want to know about the lay of the land. 
getting closer to the actually to the Germans is now getting to understand closer to the decision maker. What what they're up to, where are they going? People go to the brothels. They go because they they think, oh, this is be my last chance to to sleep with a woman because I'm going to battle. And then then you have information. Okay, where are they going? What are the plans? That's what you really want to know because that's where you can do something. And if the woman knows to ask the right question and then even copy the documents, if they had on them, probably most of them did, then you're able to get more information. I think that was very clever of her to recruit it. Now, the question is, was that her own initiative? Was that, was she requested to do it or required to do it? I think it was her initiative. I think she decided the way she covered things, there was a switch there. In the beginning, it's a journalist who's asking questions. And then I think when you approach the prostitutes and the priest, you're already changing your cover a little bit. You are a journalist, but you're you're not neutral. You already want specific information. You're already changing these people to be your informants. Now, that means you're already jeopardizing them. So there's one thing, talking to a journalist and telling them because you think it's undercover. But the other thing is talking to someone who you know you shouldn't talk to or you shouldn't say the things you do, or especially if you're spying on someone and filming or taking pictures and writing down people. That's already a different mm-hmm. stage. That's the stage she was already running networks. That she, was, yeah, different, she was, that was she a was different... running agents and organizing that's agents. That's already not journalism. It could, it could shadow journalism. We want to know for our reporters what's going on. Yes, but that's the stage where she now has to be careful for herself. The impression I get is she hit the ground running. The journalism was the starting point, but she immediately went off and started you know, making connections because she had other aliases while she was there as well. The, the journalist was just the, the, cover, the top cover story you know, for the official people. You're mentioning a very interesting role. One, you have a cover story to a certain element of the population, but actually your real, your real work is not necessarily your cover story. Your cover story is for one audience, but it's to cover the real job you're doing that's not in undercover. I mean, she wasn't there to be a journalist. That was just pretend. No, but the journalist gave her the opportunity to get intelligence. Mm-hmm. But to get different intelligence, she had to change from the cover story to something different. You have sometimes more than one cover story. Absolutely. But you have one cover story for the surroundings. I get up in the morning. What do I do? I'm a journalist for a certain newspaper in America, and I'm reporting, and that's why I'm wandering around, and that's why I'm, I'm in, in France. Right. Then what am I really doing? I am getting information, but then there's other information I want. That's a different cover that I'm using, a different name. Did she use a different name? We, we have to hear about yeah, that. Yeah, absolutely. For instance, she helped shot down or crash British airmen escape. She would smuggle them to the American consulate, often through the help of the, the convent and the nuns and, and the brothel as well. And they were supposed to get to the American consulate and say they were a friend of Olivier's which was actually Hall. And dozens of airmen were able to escape this way. You know, I get the impression she had to do things on her own volition and take risks and make decisions on the spot about what made sense. So there's a lot of independence here. And for an independent-minded woman that she was, it was a perfect fit. That was the advantage because you're looking for an individual who can make decisions and who is able to work without always having instructions. Mm-hmm. Not everybody can do that, and agencies are looking for people who can do it. In those days, they knew you send you, you don't know when the next time you meet communications will be with you, or if they're able to pass you everything and they're relying on you to handle it, even though she went through training, and she did a lot of training, and it was intensive, and they taught her a lot of things. That was, by the way, the first time she actually went into training, because up till then, all the time she was trying to do things, she was just working as a volunteer, you'd say, or 
or doing things without anyone really explaining to her what, what to but do. But like we said, her childhood and her upbringing, you know, of learning how to shoot from her father and horseback riding and swashbuckling. And she was clearly athletic and physical and very well educated, you know, spoke all these languages. So she did have at least a background. A funny little anecdote, which I think relates to her larger story. There was a, a suspicious, another agent who was working in, in the field who was suspicious of Hall and who this Cuthbert was because she would always refer to Cuthbert and then this agent was suspicious and what did she do? She showed him Cuthbert by banging her wooden leg against a table producing a hollow sound. This goes back to concealing her disability. If you have a wooden leg, especially back then, prosthetics were not as advanced and yet she was able to hide this from another agent. Either that agent wasn't very perceptive or she really did a good job of not letting that disability impair her in any way. We don't know in that time if she was still wanted by the Germans who were looking for her, or they knew that there was someone that they should look for with a with a peg leg. We don't know that yet. Well, it wasn't a peg leg. <laughs> it was a wooden leg. She a wasn't a pirate. A, a wooden leg? <laughs> she wasn't a pirate? No. Okay. I know she, she was didn't a have pirate. a parrot. <laughs> <laughs> but they were not <laughs> they were looking for someone with a wooden leg. Yeah. And at, at the time she was still able to move around as an American and not feel that she's gonna be compromised. But Obviously, afterwards, it would be much more difficult for her to yes. do things. And, yeah. Actually, in October of 1941, sensing danger, Hall declined to attend an SOE meeting of agents in Marseille, which was raided, dozens were captured, and after that debacle, Hall was one of the few SOE agents still at large in France, and the only one with means of transmitting any information to headquarters, specifically through an American diplomat in Lyon, which allowed her to smuggle reports and letters to London through his diplomatic pouch. So America was still neutral at the time. One of the um, incredible feats that she was able to do was codenamed Project Corsica, which was the rescue of agents and resistance members from a prison. There were 12 important operatives that were captured. Half of them were British, half of them were French. And the wife of one of those captured was named Gabby Bloch, and she was captured along with them, but she was later released. And she was eventually put in contact with Hall through the resistance grapevine. And in Bloch, Hall recognized like a kindred spirit, and they created a plan to get the prisoners out. Hall reporting to HQ that if they cannot come out officially, they will come out unofficially. At the 14th of March, an opportunity presented itself because the prisoners were being moved to a French camp called Mauzac instead of it being held in the German one, which they were, they were held in at that time. Now, Hall created a plan to free them en route, but after learning that they were really weak, she aborted that plan and had to come up with the new one because they were too weak to run and they were chained by the guards and everything because the treatment that they got was very bad. And also the guards had orders to shoot them if they tried to escape. Well, they were tortured. They were. They were. This is, uh, yeah, not a good situation. The conditions in Malzac were better, though. There was improved diet, and the prisoners got stronger. They began, you know, training and doing drills. They even played ball games in the prison. But in the guise of playing the ball games, they were able to scope out the, the lay of the land of the prison and also how long it took to move from one area to another, learning what the best patches of land were to hide in and getting to know the patrol times. Also, they were noting the different blind spots and different things. This is all orchestrated by Hall and planned together. Now, Hall couldn't show her face near the camp because she was a well-known commodity at this point as a journalist and didn't make sense for her to go there. And also, at this point, she was developing a notoriety through her different aliases and acts, and people were looking for the limping lady at this point. So it was better if she didn't approach the camp. But Gabby Bloch was able to, as an excuse to visit her husband, of course. And so Hall drilled Gabby on how to recruit guards as messengers and identify potential helpers. And she also gave money 
to Blosh, which again goes back to the first episode and how the importance of money, the carrot rather than the stick, is incentivizing. Now, Blosh would travel 35 miles three times a week to visit her husband in the prison and became known at a local hotel bar where different guards drank. She befriended one guard, a guard named Sevilla, who proved really true to his word and Sevilla was able to persuade the camp commandant that Watchtower 5, which is one of the watchtowers in the prison, shouldn't be manned at night, claiming that it swayed in the wind and was unsafe to climb, because that was a watchtower that overlooked where they were planning on escaping. Hall gave Blosh clean clothes and books and large amounts of foods and black market groceries, and she was very generous with her gifts, so that when the guards searched her and she found them, she gave this, this, that, which allowed them to be more lax and let her through, and again... Give Treat people well, and, and they treat you, right? It's the personal thing. Everything's personal. Yeah. She was able, through this, to conceal in jam jars wire cutters, screwdrivers, and hammers, and tins of sardines, and things like that, which the tins of sardines was really high-quality metal, which they were able to use to, to build stuff. And they actually constructed a key to the prison door using bread as a mold. Fascinating story. Paul organized a safe house with her contacts. She organized a getaway driver and 12 sets of false papers and ration cards and train tickets. And she also enlisted the help of a 70-year-old French priest, probably through the nuns that she befriended earlier were able to connect her to him. Now, this priest was a World War I veteran. Now, this French priest had lost his legs in action, and he used a wheelchair. And his priestly visits, of course, caused no question, no alarm. And so Hall was able to smuggle under his Cossack a whole transmitter radio. And when the prisoners saw the radio, apparently they, um, they, they replied, it must, must have been the British one. He said, great Scott, it's a piano. I don't know if he was Scottish, but I'm going to uh, making him Scottish. And the French uh, priest would reply, yes, I was given to understand that you can get plenty of music out of it. It has been nicely tuned, had it, and of course, forget how it got here. Well, it's one thing working operating by yourself and getting information from people you can trust, but now you have to be looking at a network. Well, she's that, running an operation as well. Exactly. And enough that one rotten apple or there's one that, that's not right and the whole thing falls and she could be arrested and harm could come to the people in prison. But then she has to, to be brave enough or courageous enough to think of a plan that will allow her to execute it. If you, if you think about it, it was her idea from the beginning. It was her initiative. It didn't come from a directive from London say, listen, we want you to release these guys or get them out of prison and this is how you should do it. She had to think about it by herself. Again, comes back to the character of the, of the field officer, of the person you recruit who does the work. What kind of people you're looking for? Someone who sees an opportunity, sees there's something happening and decides to go for it. And with all her skills she has and her, I would say probably her, human instincts to understand who was, could be recruited and who couldn't. Because the main thing is not to be jeopardized. Absolutely. I mean, certainly the London office couldn't tell her that you need to disband Watchtower 6 and do this and that. The d details she had to figure out. Now, what happened, there was a little setback. Blosh, when she would visit, she would also slip messages into the coat pockets of a friendly guard when it was hanging in the mess hall. However, the message pertaining to a key problem was slipped into the mess sergeant's jacket, and Blosh was summoned and confronted by this. And the mess sergeant, luckily, said he was willing to help for 50,000 francs, and Hall was able to supply. All comes down to money again. She was lucky as well that there were French guards and didn't do it from ideological means, but they did it, they needed work. And 
the yeah, it wasn't the a German prison. That's why no. yes, it was a better was a, operation. Yes, that why there was a better chance to to speak to the people, and 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 it made sense maybe because you know she was a wife of one of the people, and and she was able to maybe get sympathetic response from the from the from the major there. The prisoners had timed their movements to the second, and after 4 p.m. on the 15th of July, Hall signaled go, Sevilla arranging for guard in Watchtower 7 to light a cigarette, signaling all clear. However, the guard was a no-show, and the men waited anxiously. And finally, at 3 a.m., Sevilla managed to slip away from his inebriated chief and up onto the tower, lighting a pipe, signaling for the prisoners to escape. The key turned the lock. The prisoners ran to the fence using a string-tugging system. One tug meaning all clear, three tugs meaning danger. And in the dark, they crawled under this barbed wire, crawling, crawling, crawling towards freedom. And in 12 minutes, 12 men escaped. Later, in twos and threes, they traveled cross-country to the getaway driver waiting for them and were whisked off into the night. The next day... The guards discovered the escape. A manhunt was launched, but Hall thought of everything. She advised Blosh to create an alibi and made it very clear for her to be seen amongst French guards and soldiers. So when she was arrested, due to her witnesses, she was later released. Hall also contacted her local contacts to start gossiping about the escape, saying that the prisoners were flown out by RAF bombers. Love it. I love this diversionary tactics. You create a false message when really they were in hiding, not far from the prison itself. But with word that the prisoners had escaped, eventually the guard stopped looking. And when that happened, the prisoners carefully headed to Lyon by truck and train. They were split into different safe houses and eventually whisked off to Spain and then to London. All 12 making it there. Hall and the others that she had brought in to do the prison break, pulling off an amazing operation, which became the stuff of legend at the SOE. In recognition of Blosh's valor, the SOE arranged for her and her children to be transported to London to rejoin her husband. And both went on to serve the French Secret Service in London, and they were recipients of the Légion d'Honneur, which is uh, the French award for, for honor and valiance. And Bloch was also recommended for the King's Medal for courage in the cause of freedom. Many of the 12 prisoners also later returned to France for more operations. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Incredible. Well, if you... I mean, think about it again. How many people were involved? How a many lot. people? How many, even the guards? Did all the guards know that all the guards that they knew were involved, or each one only knew that he was involved? Big question: Was each one individually recruited, or one guard brought another guard who he trusted and put them in? We, we don't know exactly in that aspect, but. To pull off such an operation and to have so many people from the inside aware of it, you have to be 
or very crazy or very courageous or both. I think she's a bit of both. And a bit of both. Because really it's, um, it's quite remarkable that you're able, one person was able to orchestrate everything from outside without being close. So that, that's okay without being close. But understanding that the people you're recruiting will be will not reveal anything. And as far as we understand, none of them revealed afterwards that they were involved and that her involvement in it. But how did the Nazis feel about this escape from Mauzak? They were furious. Furious that French police allowed it to happen. Furious that these prisoners had escaped. But most importantly, furious that they learned that it was orchestrated by their nemesis, the limping lady. The Gestapo flooded France with 500 agents. And the Abfer, German intelligence, set up operations to infiltrate and destroy the fledgling French resistance and SOE networks, focusing on Lyon, which was the center of resistance and which was where Hall was operating from. Hall counted on her French police contacts to protect her, but under pressure from Nazis, they were no longer reliable. In May of 1942, Hall agreed to transmit messages from the Gloria Network, a French-run resistance movement in Paris. But in August, the Gloria Network is infiltrated by a Roman Catholic priest, an Obver agent named Robert Allisk. The Gloria leadership is all captured, and Robert Allisk makes contact with Hall, claiming to be an agent of Gloria, offering high-value intel. Now, Hall has doubts especially learning that Gloria was destroyed, but she thinks maybe he's escaped, I don't know. And Robert was able to persuade her with his qualifications and supposed intel. But not just her, he was able to persuade the London headquarters. And he was able to penetrate Hall's network, even later managing to send false messages to London in Hall's name. That's a bad breach. The Butcher of Lyon, the SS officer called Klaus Barbie, made capturing Hall his priority. He said... I would give anything to get my hands on that Canadian bitch. He didn't know that she was American. And in November 13, 1942, raids occurred which captured nearly all of Hall's spiring. But Hall wasn't found. Wanted posters were spread all over France and the German territories. The Gestapo saying that she is the most dangerous of all Allied spies. Yeah, she is very dangerous. We must find and destroy her. But... Hall had fled days earlier, sensing that something was up. She had taken a train out of Lyon, jumped out of the train before it arrived at its destination, and then headed for Spain across the snow-capped Pyrenees Mountains. Twelve hours of marching per day, with Cuthbert as a plow. Halfway, she contacted London HQ, saying, Cuthbert is being tiresome. They didn't get the joke. And they replied in Morse code, If Cuthbert tiresome... Have him eliminated. So what happens when headquarters are not exactly 100% up to date with your operations? Yes, yes. When Hall finally arrived in Spain, she was arrested because she didn't have proper documentation, and she wasn't allowed any legal representation or communication with the consulate, but she was jailed alongside a young prostitute with failing health. Hall was able to nurse her back to health, and when the prostitute was released, she contacted the consulate, who then were able to release Hall. The SOE assigned Hall to stay in Spain, sending reports and coordinating uh, the return of escaped pilots back to England. But after four months, Hall wrote that, I thought I could help in Spain, but I'm not doing a job. I'm living pleasantly and wasting time. It isn't worthwhile, and after all, my neck is my own. If I'm willing to get a crick in it, I think that's my prerogative. She wanted to get back into the action. So she returned to London. She was greeted as a hero there. The king wanted to give her a medal, but she turned him down. She wanted to remain anonymous to maintain her cover, eventually accepting in a private event. 
Soon, it became clear to her that the SOE was not going to send her back in the field. So what did she do? She switched agencies. In comes the newly formed U.S. Office of Strategic Services, the OSS. So Hall joins this agency, and 16 months after she fled France, she was back. But she was deployed as a mere assistant and wireless operator to an older but inexperienced male officer, who she soon ditched to break out on her own. Realizing that the Germans identified her by her limp, Hall put on an old lady disguise. She would hunch over and she shuffled from place to place. She had a makeup artist teach her how to do old lady makeup and had a London dentist grind down her teeth to look more like a French milkmaid. You see what she went through to make her cover story look natural. Not a lot of people will get their teeth done in the way that she did. And I'm certain that the, uh, the different services didn't tell her to do. She probably volunteered to come up with this plan to get back into action. But you see, again, the British decided, okay, she did her bit. Maybe enough is enough. She took a risk, and they didn't want to jeopardize her. They valued her, and they thought it's not worthwhile taking the risk again to sending her into the theater because she'll be compromised. So you could say she, they were looking at her at her interest and not at their interest because it would be easy to say, okay, let's send her in. Yeah, so I but think that's, she was that's nice. wanted all across Nazi exactly. France. So, that's, and- so they didn't send her in, even though they could have. But was that the reason they didn't want to send her in? Or they said, well, this woman is a loose cannon. She can do all sorts of things and we don't know what's, what, she's, what she's going to be up to. Because when they sent her, they didn't know that this is all the stuff she's going to be doing. So they commended her for what she did, but said, wait a minute, wait a minute. We have no control over this lady. Well, bear in mind that she was also infiltrated by that Robert, operative. Yes. And uh, maybe the last thing that happened was infiltrated, the whole spiring fall apart, and then she had to flee. Or maybe she thought maybe that she was compromised herself. How How is it that she survived and managed to escape? I don't think they wouldn't have brought her to the king if that was the case. But I think it was the latter that they were thinking, you were compromised you are known who they, you are. If you go back to your old contacts, they will, some of them will report you and you'll be caught. We, we don't want it. So I'm looking at it from a human point of view. I think they made the right decision for them at the time, although she was very experienced. But the Americans made a different decision. Well, the Americans only took her as an assistant uh, to someone who had no experience. I mean, this just shows, again, like undervaluing her. and For them, she was an unknown commodity. Well, she just uh, gotten this medal from the, the British yes, and the but king. Do, but, but do we knowing, know, knowing Hall, she probably didn't boast about that. She didn't boast about it, and probably the British and the Americans maybe didn't share information about it. In the end, do we know that the British recruited an American with the American knowing that she was recruited by them? I'm not sure about that. Today, of course, in today's world, it will be a bit different, and you don't always do things like that. But in, in those days, I doubt if the Americans even gave an approval or even knew that she was actually working for them. I'm not, I, don't, I don't know about it. You know, that. probably Hall also didn't care what position they gave her as long as they put her back in there. Exactly. The moment she had the first opportunity, she said, well, this is not a, I can't work with this guy. I mean, I know what it's all about. And this is a, a new guy who doesn't know anything. I'm not going to work with him. He's going to compromise me. And that's exactly one of the reasons she left him because he, she felt like he was going to compromise her. He was not careful enough. He talked too much. All that kind of stuff. Talk too much. That's and, kind of what they told her. <laughs> and then what we're talking about, what year we're talking about now, there's already a feeling that uh, there's going to be a change. So so what happened when she went to the, with the Americans? Well, one, one of the great ploys that she, she did as a milkwoman 
was she would make cheese and sell it to the Germans and then eavesdrop on them. Of course, she understood German, so she would be able to understand what they were saying. And then she would relay the information back to her new headquarters with the Americans using a bicycle-powered radio. Hall made contact with local resistance maquis cells, as they were called. She arranged supply drops and actually took over various maquis cells, organizing them under one master plan. But as a woman with the rank of second lieutenant, she had problems asserting her authority over maquis cell leaders who were self-proclaimed colonels, complaining to the OSS, You send people out ostensibly to work with me and for me, but you do not give me the necessary authority. Nonetheless, she manages to overcome this obstacle, as she always does. But again, it goes back to this thing of undervaluing her, and in spite of it, rising above. A master plan was finally enacted on D-Day, which was June 6, 1944. D-Day was a massive joint invasion planned by the Allies into Europe through Normandy. And all across France, McKee cells blew up bridges, rail lines, and supply depots. Virginia's cells especially prolific. And over three months, she and her 1,500 resistance fighters killed over 170 Nazis, captured 800 more, and conducted numerous acts of sabotage. So she's able to organize a fighting force of 1,500 people basically under her command. It's crazy. Those are the times you could do things. It's different. Different today. Different today. Again, was she working alone from the point of view of uh, Well, I mean, she obviously had... um, Well, she had other people from the French, uh, from the Maki, from the French resistance. But was there other Americans there with her? We don't know. We have to assume that she was given this task or she took the task upon herself to do. It's not clear because obviously some of the files are still not open to the public. But you could assume from the way she's conducted herself that a lot of her actions were her own inspiration and her own... uh, understanding of what this has to be done. And I think that's the, that's the greatness of her. Well, she was sent into France to be an assistant to an older guy. <laughs> and she ended up, you know... Yes, but maybe the, the instructions were to do the things she did and Absolutely. she decided to do yeah. them. Assist McKee cells, organize yes. them, you know, into more effective fighting forces, sabotage bridges as possible, sabotage And uh, I'm sure that's what she, she, that was the instructions. But, but general but instructions, actually to not look specific at it, ones. See the big picture and, and orchestrate it. She took over, basically. Yeah. In September, OSS agent Paul Guaylo arrives as reinforcements to find that there's no need. He and Hall touring across France and surveying different maquis stashes and locations. They find some wine and celebrate together. The fact that it seemed that everything was going well. And they connected. And eventually, they would later marry. The rest of the war passed fairly quietly for Hall. She did receive more honors and awards from Britain, France, the US. But, continuingly and bafflingly... Hall was still rejected for foreign service, official form of service, diplomatic corps. Crazy to me, after all she's done. No, and it's different, it's different jobs. It's like being an astronaut and being a postman. Uh, both of them have vehicles and deliver, <laughs> deliver, deliver both mail. Both of them have vehicles and <laughs> deliver the mail. One has a spaceship, one has a postman. It's, of course, it's different. You'd think she could be uh, an ambassador in, in the UK. No. It's political. You have to remember, American high diplomats are political appointee. After the war, Hall visited Lyon to learn the fate of the people who worked for her. The brothel owner and gynecologist, they were both captured and sent to concentration camps. But they survived. And Hall arranged 80,000 francs, approximately 400 British pounds, compensation from the UK for the brothel owner. Most other helpers sadly received nothing. 
and many people she knew had not survived. But her career was not yet over. When the OSS evolved into the CIA, Hall was hired and became the first female career staffer. However, she bashed heads with her bosses. A colleague of hers there, E. Howard Hunt of uh, Watergate fame, said, No one knew what to do with her. She was a sort of embarrassment to the non-combat CIA types, by which I mean bureaucrats. Too much of a free-spirited, free-thinking, go out and get him, not listening to the, the rules kind of thing. Well, she never listened to the rules. She wanted to play the, the boy parts and uh, swashbuckle and do all that stuff. She worked as an intelligence analyst in France for the CIA from 1951 to 1966, as did her husband Paul. And she worked against the Russians during the height of the Cold War, the details of which are still mostly classified. She retired at 60, lived in a farm with Paul, and made French cheese and gardened, passing away peacefully in 1982. She remains the most highly decorated female spy in American history. In 2017, a CIA training facility was named after her, and CIA officers say techniques that she developed still inform the agency's mission. A lot of the files about Hall were destroyed. There was a fire in France in the 1970s where a lot of the wartime records were destroyed, and also 85% of the SOE records have been lost or not yet opened or classified or can't even be found. So a lot of the information about her, her stuff is uh, left unknown. Craig R. Grally, a former member of CIA's Senior Intelligence Service, said, Virginia Hall left no memoir, granted no interviews, and spoke little about her overseas life, even with relatives. She received the Distinguished Service Cross, the only civilian woman in the Second World War to do so, but refused all but a private ceremony with OSS Chief Donovan, even a presentation by President Truman. A quote from Hall might explain the reasoning. Too many of my friends were killed because they talked too much. Also, the motto for a successful OSS agent was, Dubito ergo sum. I doubt, therefore I survive. Quite a character. Yes, yes. Quite an amazing life. Would you hire her? Long pause. <laughs> it's very difficult to work with someone who, in the end, does what he wants to do in the field. And then you have to rely on him or her to do the job. It's a question of what you want to be done and what kind of qualifications you need. It's difficult, difficult, uh, difficult choice. But you remember, the, those times were different. There was wartime, it was chaos, and um, every hand was needed, and they didn't have people without experience. And therefore, they took her, and she was able to do what she knew best to do. That is, she trusted her guts, she trusted her instincts, she had the quality to recruit people and, and gain their trust, and she was very good at it. Was she a team player? From a point of view of a organization, probably she was a very difficult team player. Do you need people like that in your organization? Yes, you certainly need people like that, individuals, because without that, you don't make the big breakthroughs, and she proved it. I suppose during active wartime, it's a completely different field of operations, and more room to, to be creative because the communication lines are not as clear. In today's world, when the headquarters and, you, and the field officer have more contact and communications, it's much more difficult to be an individual who does what he wants. At a certain point, the headquarters, quite rightly so, they have their own opinions and the way they want it, and you're supposed to execute it in some ways. If you're too independent, then eventually you get pulled back home because they're worried you might 
do something they don't want you to do and and you don't see the big picture. Because in the end, she's an individual who did what she thought was right to do in her area. Did she know the big picture? Sometimes, but most of the stuff she did, she decided to do it and went and did it. She probably got the okay from her headquarters to do it, but she was the one to initiate some of the stuff and how to do it, she decided how to do it. I feel like a trend in her life was people undervaluing her, you know, being prejudiced against her, being a woman and having disabilities or being handicapped. You know, I feel like in some ways that was also a strength because she was underestimated by her opponents as well. You know, you wouldn't suspect the priest. Well, you wouldn't suspect the limping lady, would you? Expect the unexpected. Yes, exactly. A <laughs> character and the way she uh, lived her life I think it gave her the advantage that others wouldn't have had in those days. To talk to prostitutes, talk to the priests, talk French, talk all the languages she knew. It was a great advantage that probably there were not too many, and she was able to play on that. And especially when you think, well, as a handicap, they wouldn't recruit a handicapped woman because how can she escape? She, she can't go through the Pyrenees Mountains, or she can't jump from an airplane, and she can't do the things she did. So she it gave did. her the advantage, <laughs> and she did, and that gave her the advantage. In today's world, obviously, it would have been much more difficult for her to succeed. In a chaotic world that she lived in at the time she lived in and the period she lived in, she was exactly what she did exactly what she wanted to do from that point of view. She could blend in without being suspicious. She avoided capture a couple of times because she trusted herself and, and her and instincts. She couldn't trust, and, and the motto she said in the end: "Doubt everybody all the time." You know, you can't judge someone in a time of war when you're in uh, enemy lines and you, your head is uh, if someone's looking for you, um, it's a different time. Operating the field independently with less oversight, you know, how do you even begin? You know, she just kind of dropped down and like, do spy stuff. Like, how does one start? You don't send someone into a territory not knowing the language because if you send someone who can't even communicate, what's he going to do? He can't understand or can under, he'll be compromised immediately. So you have to have tools. You have to have some initial tools. If you look at the second period when she was sent into, uh, when she decided to make milk and uh, and make cheese, not to make milk, make cheese, and uh, and sell it, it was a different environment. Of you could say who you are, and no one would question you because no one can check. And everybody was wandering around at the time. There was millions of refugees running around Europe. Even at the time of, of the war, there was always people being displaced and moved out of their houses. Chaos breeds opportunity. So, so there's a lot of. You are what you are, and if you're trained, you, 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 you do something on it. You have to have the basic abilities, yes, but afterwards it's up to you. What kind of person are you looking for? Someone who can, an individuals who can manage themselves, or you're looking for someone who need always guidance? If you're looking for someone guidance, then you, this is not the game for you. This is not the occupation. You need someone who can make decisions on the spot, in the field, knowing what is, has to be done, and not having to have his reassurance from his headquarters to telling him what to do all the time. And if you get caught, it's part of, you know, as I said, 50-50% chance you'll get caught. Not everybody wanted to be in that game. 50% is too risky, even though you're Toss a coin. You're going to lose in the end. And that's why the British, for instance, decided not to send her in again. They felt if they send her in again, her chances of making it were not going to be... Um, good. They're not going to be good. No. I think it highlights the profession of the spy. What kind of people are you looking for when you send to these jobs? What are the professions? Because they know how to make cheese, because they know a language, because they know how to travel, 
because uh, they don't take no for an answer, because they don't like to work with other people? What, what makes a spy? A spy, a spy. What makes someone a good spy or what makes someone, what's kind of person you're looking for? If you're trying to find a pattern, that by itself is making a mistake. I think you have to find individuals and then look at the individual and see where, where in this individual, what can I do with this individual that I could get the best out of him and him feeling that he's getting the best out of what we can give him and not looking to see if we can mold him into something we think is the right thing. Don't put a square peg in a round hole, but find a square hole to put him in. Find a way that you can find something to do with him and not look for something. And why the Americans didn't use her in the beginning? Because they were looking for something specific. And she wasn't the specific thing she was. they were wanted. And that's why she never was recruited. The British understood better that this individual has qualities because you had someone from the field who recognized that this is person is the person that could and do the And they were in the war already. And they were in the war already, and they needed people. And that's why that encounter that she had with this case officer or with this gentleman who was able to recognize, he basically made her life the way it became. Mm -hmm. A chance encounter in a train station. Sometimes those are the best connections and contacts you have. Sometimes you, you, sometimes you recruit the people in the most un unacceptable, unbelievable places where you didn't even plan to happen. That's the fun, and that's you never know where you're going to meet the best agent or the best source or the best spy, and who's behind it. You never know. Well, Virginia Hall's life was changed by that chance encounter, but she also changed the lives of many people who worked with her. And we'll end the episode with some words from those who served with Virginia Hall. We knew her as Diane, and we called ourselves the Diane Irregulars. We were ragtag teenagers, but she trained us in combat, in strategy, and service to one's country. It was worth being born just for that experience. We know perfectly well just how much we owe her. Virginia's spirit soared above the plateau, and for those who knew her from those days, she was forever la madame. Madonna of the mountains, patron saint of those seeking refuge. This was Spies and Lies. Thanks for listening. And next time you're at a train station, keep your eyes peeled. You never know who you might encounter. Spies and Lies is a Grumpy Golem production with original scoring and mastering by Julian Dussault. If you enjoyed listening, don't forget to share with your friends and leave a comment or review wherever you listen from. If you have any questions or subjects you'd like for my father and I to cover, drop us a message and we'll do our best to get back to you. Until next time. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? 
They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.